Hello and welcome to Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your host? I'm Marianne. And I would like to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, today, whatever time it is, wherever you are living in this beautiful world of ours. So sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and discover what awaits us there. Halloween, the night of the year where the veil between the living and those who have died is thinnest. For Wiccan and pagan communities, it's a time of celebration. For those cultures who celebrate Halloween, it's more commonly known as a night when kids and kids at heart dress up in costumes and the kids go trick-or-treating and the adults at parties. It falls on October the 31st because the ancient Gaelic festival of Samhain, considered the earliest known route of Halloween, occurred on this day. It marked a pivotal time of year when seasons changed, but more importantly, as I mentioned before, observers also believed the boundary between this world and the next became especially thin at this time, enabling them to connect with the dead. This belief is shared by some other cultures and it's a night where it's become tradition to hear or tell ghost stories, watch horror movies and generally scare ourselves and have fun doing it. We here in the Southern Hemisphere haven't really had Halloween as such a huge thing like it is in parts of the Northern Hemisphere, particularly in the USA. But some do celebrate it here, so in honour of the season and the fact that there are two Halloween Eves in the world, one in each hemisphere of the world, I'm having special episodes of the Walking the Shadowlands podcast, one today for our Halloween Eve and one tomorrow for the Northern Hemisphere's Halloween Eve. Two episodes of genuine ghost stories and paranormal experiences. Those who have been following my podcast will know that in the first season of this show I did share some ghost stories and paranormal experiences that people had sent in and because I have so many new listeners who may not have heard them I'm going to re-share some of those stories along with a whole pile of new ones. So get your nice warm cup of tea or coffee or your favourite tipple and your rug if it's cold where you are and your... What? Did you just hear a noise then? Did did you hear that? Oh, it must just have been my imagination. Are you ready to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there? Are you brave enough? Then let's begin. Ha, 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 ha. 
is Tatiana, and I'm from Arizona, USA, the Wild West, so it takes a bit to scare me. But when I graduated from high school, I was about 18, just about to turn 19 years old, I decided to go to New York City to visit my grandparents and to visit my friend Anna, who lived up there. And it was a pretty normal visit. Went to Queens, uh, saw the sights, went to Manhattan, just pretty good time. Staying with my friend Anna one night, and her and her dog, Tippy, who is an adorable little pit bull, just very protective, very sweet, good little dog. And Anna tells me that she was suddenly called in to go to work early the next morning. And we were planning on hanging out, but we were going to have to change plans. She asked if I'd just stay in the apartment for that morning and hang out with the dog. She gave me her Netflix password. You know, it was pretty chill, normal friend stuff. Um, and of course, I said, yes, you can't keep your friend from going to work. And I had always felt pretty safe in the apartment. It was a fairly normal place. Um, but so I'm there, you know, the next morning, me and the dog hang out, have a bowl of cereal together watching TV, and suddenly the dog kind of jumps off the couch with this kind of high-pitched yip and runs to the kitchen, which is like at a 90-degree angle off of the living room, so I couldn't see into the kitchen. And she's in the kitchen, and she's growling. And I start freaking out, and I think, you know, we're on an upper floor of the apartment building, but maybe there's somebody trying to climb in the window. Somebody's about to get in and hurt me. So I follow the dog, see what's going on. And when I get in, I see a shadow figure. I'd never seen one before. didn't even know what, was, what, what it was, what was going on. But it just looked like a three-dimensional shadow, like a person, kind of tall, maybe 6'1", 6'2", taller than me. And I'm six feet tall. So, you know, it was a little odd just to see that as well. And I gasped, I think. I was just shocked. And this thing whirled around and turned and looked at me. and you know, there's this natural human response when you're shocked to put your hands up in front of your face. And that's what this thing did. Its hands just went up kind of over its head. And it took like a step back as if it was just really shocked to see me and to see that I could see it. And I didn't feel cold. I didn't feel terrified. I just felt shocked. And the dog got in between me and the thing and started growling and barking at it. And all I could think of to say in the moment was get out, get out. This isn't your home. This isn't where you belong. You don't go here anymore. Leave. Just leave. And the thing slowly turned and walked straight through the kitchen wall and left. And I was shaken and I sat down and I hadn't been huge on the paranormal before then, but I knew my friend Anna was. So I didn't actually tell her and she still doesn't know to this day what I saw in her house. But that was a terrifying experience for me and something that really made me come to know that the paranormal is out there, that it's all real and scary as all get out. This is a personal experience I had. At that time, I was living in the States in a small town called Waxhaw, about 30 minutes out of Charlotte, North Carolina. It was mid-morning, it was daylight, broad daylight, and I was sitting in our sunroom resting because I'd just hurt my back and could barely move. It was a mission for me to get on and off the chair. It took me a few minutes. I definitely couldn't just leap up off my seat like I would have normally. So I was just sitting there feeling rather sorry for myself. 
reading and just resting, when out of the corner of my left eye, I see this large, blonde, vaguely familiar woman standing on the other side of our decking. I saw her from the waist up, which was actually impossible, but I didn't even consider this at the time. Because of the height of the decking from the ground, it would have made her about 12 feet tall. I did a double take when I realised she was smiling broadly at me and waving to get my attention. I smiled, waved back at her and called out to Jay in the next room. I told him there was someone on our property who was wanting our attention. Could he please check? And at the same time, I turned to look at him in the other room. When I turned back to look at her, she had gone. I assumed that because I had acknowledged her that she had now gone to the front door of our house. However, as Jay was on the way to the front door to check if she was there, the phone ran. It was family who had called to say that they had just heard from Rhonda, my then sister-in-law, saying that Rhonda's mum was critically ill in hospital. That was the minute when I realised that it was Rhonda's mum I had actually just seen. I didn't recognise her initially because she looked younger and far healthier than when I'd last seen her. I said to Jay, no, 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 she's not ill. She's actually passed away because that's just who I saw. Then, at that very minute, the phone ran again and it was family again to say that they had just received the news that, no, she wasn't critically ill, that she had in fact passed over. Now, you have to understand that I really have perhaps a handful of times in my life have seen spirit that look absolutely solid like a living person and she was one of them. I realised afterwards that she had come to tell me that she was okay so I could pass that on to her daughter Rhonda because she knew I was a medium and would likely be able to see her to pass the message on. So that was one of my more interesting experiences I have had in broad daylight. This is Belinda's story, the beginning experiences in a major haunting episode, a period of a number of years where she was tormented and haunted by entities who traumatised her and later her daughter as well. The full episode was called A Haunting in Australia and you can listen to her full story in that episode. I moved into a unit in, on the central coast in New South Wales in Australia. From the very first night I moved in there, it felt very uneasy. I didn't feel comfortable. I felt constantly watched. Um, and I didn't, especially didn't feel comfortable being in my bedroom. I felt like I needed a easy escape route kind of thing. So I slept on the lounge in the lounge room. So the very first night I remember laying on the lounge and I woke and there was a tall, long-haired, solid, man with a flannelette jacket walked in my entrance door um, and closely followed behind him was a shorter man with a bald head and I my eyes felt all groggy and I, I, I swore it was just a dream but I think um, so I went back to sleep I woke again I saw the same people but they were in shadow form now 
And I remember looking up and just seeing the short, balder guy sitting on my TV in shadow form and he just went shh like that at me. Um, almost every night I was in this house, in this unit, I would have that feeling. I'd have, have that feeling of so if you if you're to close your eyes and hold your hand an inch or so above your skin and you can you can feel that there's a energy force there, I'd have that feeling like there was someone behind me. I'd I'd sleep with the covers over my head, tucked under my feet. I'd have the fan going 24-7, just have background noise and block out something. And I would just hear, just have that feeling constantly. I had multiple situations with these same beings all the time. Um, and then it, it escalated one night where I actually had a um, very, yeah, very scary encounter with a, a shadow being. Um, I woke to tapping on the on the roof or because I was, I was the bottom level of a multi-leveled apartment I just assumed it was a couple upstairs having a dispute I woke to hear on the floor ceiling above my bed and it went again just it went two or three times and then it stopped and then they went again and then I heard running across the floor above me and the door above me slamming, people running down the stairs, and then the loudest bang, which I thought was on my front door but could have been on my bedroom door, bang, 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 bang. I freaked. I didn't know what to do. It was about 3 or 4 in the morning. Um, I ended up ringing the police and they attended and no one answered the door upstairs. Um, they weren't sure if someone was in there. Um, there was no sound of movement up there and later come to find out that I think that 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 place was actually unoccupied. Um, so I don't know if what I, I don't know if what I encountered was a, a replay of a domestic situation, but it was very, very frightening. And a few nights later I was laying in bed. Again I saw and the door handle started to slowly creak up and down uh just it wasn't a round knob it was like one of those side kind of like a I don't know what you call it a lengthways handle and it was slowly creaking yes up and down and then it just slammed down and the door swung open and the door frame was empty for a second and then this the tall shadow being with the long hair was there and then he just lunged at my bed in a shadow blanket form. Um, I was so terrified. I'm even shaking a bit now thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, my whole body just shook. It was the middle of winter and I was sweating and felt like I had a fever. It was it was terrible. I, I remember telling one of my bosses about it um, and she believed, she believed in the spirit world and she said, um, I don't know who that is, but whoever it is, they do not want you out in there. You need to get out right away. And I'm, that didn't help at all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, within, I gave my notice pretty much straight away. And every morning I would wake up just in tears, like grateful that I made it through the night. It was really, I don't know who it was. I, I have a feeling now that it may have been um, to do with, there's a men's rehab facility next door, a men's refuge across the road from the hospital. I think it was to do with um, someone who had overdosed. And, yeah, these two beings, they just were nasty and, and really enjoyed terrifying me. So, yeah, I got out of that. That was, that was 
God, that was when I was 22 or so. I'm now almost 37, but it still gives me chills recalling that. Sammy from New Zealand. About 14 years ago, we stayed in a hotel suite we had booked on the Gold Coast of Australia. We were booked for a week, but after arriving late at night, staying that first night with two-year-old daughter and mother-in-law, we checked out early the next morning, lost a lot of money and found a new hotel room. That first night I could not sleep. I was filled with such bad energy. This crushing feeling of dread and malevolence. So bad that I got my two-year-old into the bed to co-sleep with me and hubby. I'd doze off and dream of her climbing up on the windowsill and falling out the seventh floor window. Dreams so real I would wake up with tears and shaking and not sleep again for another hour. Early the next morning, as I sat drinking coffee, trying to work out a way to get us out of there without Hubby getting upset over the costs and my mother-in-law getting pissy for having to relocate, Hubby comes out, dressed and shoes on. I asked, what's going on? He says, we can't stay here. I'm going to find us somewhere else. Hurry up, get mum up, start packing, be ready to leave when I get back. His mum was already awake, clearly upset too. We were washed up, packed and waiting downstairs within 25 minutes. The whole day we were shell-shocked. We didn't talk about that first hotel room. But the next night, over a couple of beers, I said to Hubby how glad I was to get out of there. It was like an open floodgate. We all opened up, offloaded with each other. The three of us all experienced that same dread feeling, the same bad dreams of my little girl falling out of the window. We all dreamt of the same window by the top of the stairs of the suite. We all slept very, very badly and all woke up knowing we couldn't stay there another night. Hubby said he'd woke up feeling like someone was sitting on his chest. He couldn't breathe. The rest of the week we'd detour the longest way around not to have to drive past this hotel. Even as I type this, I'm getting chills and hairs up on the back of my neck. I'm Jasmine and my experiences with uh, paranormal began when I was quite young. So it happened when my sister passed away. My younger sister passed away in um, 2001. She had a seizure in the bathtub. Uh, Between the time it took from my dad to answer the door and for me to get there, uh, she had already passed. And so I was sort of the first person that was on the scene and saw her. Um, I was five years old when that happened. Um, And after that, uh, I experienced a lot of um, unusual things that were happening uh, that related back to her behaviour when she was alive. So uh, we had a sliding door in our bathroom, for instance, and we had to shove a wooden uh, wedge in it so she couldn't get into the bathroom. After she passed away, we took it out for convenience and I would hear her running um, up and down the hallway, um, opening and closing the door. Uh, That happened basically every day. 
Um, I experienced her as if she had actually never left. So I heard her, her laugh or could feel her there, but I never seen her um, physically. Um, sorry, it's a bit hard to, yeah. But it's um, getting easier to talk about, which is good. And I think this feels really important to do. So, um, yeah, these experiences, they uh, continue basically, yeah, every, every day. Um, and because I was quite young, I didn't really understand what I was experiencing. And because I never seen a physical form, I just always heard or felt things, um, I I couldn't identify that with being her. So I was quite terrified of what that could have been um, or even the idea of a ghost. You know, as a child, I, I always thought that was a scary thing or, or a bad thing. Um, and my family, my parents were still very young, so uh, probably a bit uncomfortable about talking about it and, and probably quite in shock about some of the things that were happening as well. Um, didn't really... Uh, speak openly about it with me and, and, and it wasn't until a, a close family friend who I actually call an uncle um, spoke to me and had heard about from my parents what I was experiencing and he spoke to me and, and told me that I didn't have to be scared because it was my sister and knowing that sort of flicked a switch in my mind where it went from being really fearful and actually quite scared of what was happening to actually feeling quite relieved and actually almost happy because she, in a way she hadn't gone. And, um, you know, that was a nice feeling for me that uh, I could still experience her there. And even though I didn't completely understand what was happening, um, I was still quite happy that um, it was happening to me because not all of the members of my family experienced it the same way. Um, although there was one night in particular where we were all, all of us were in the lounge and her room was closed off for about a uh, few months at least after she'd passed away, completely locked up uh, the way it was the day she passed away. Um, and we heard this banging noise and we all sort of looked at each other like, oh, like, did you hear that? Uh, to sort of confirm what we were hearing and it carried on and, and the noise was like a ding, ding, it was like something banging against um, a metal bar and we actually used to share that bedroom together and it was a, a metal bunk bed that sort of had a railing on the side and she didn't cry much as a baby but uh, she would bang her bottle on the side of it when she was ready to get let out of bed or if she wanted the attention, she'd, she'd bang there until somebody would come into the room and so she it continued, it continued for like just keep going, that, that noise and my mum was actually starting to, to cry because she didn't really know how to cope with what was happening. And um, the close family friend, my uncle, he was actually there and he got he just got up um, and he walked into the room and he opened the door and he said, okay, come on, you can, you can get out now and then closed the door behind him. And after that, there, there was no... Um, no more banging noises. So for a family, for us as a family, that was quite a big experience that we've never actually talked about ever since, um, actually. And I, I continued to have those experiences right up until we um, left that house, actually. And 
um, after that, I, I I never experienced it to that intensity that I felt um, in, in that house, which was actually the house that she passed away in as well, um, of feeling like she was just there. You know, I, it's so hard to explain what the feeling was like. Um, but I guess in terms of like feeling their wairua, like feeling the spirit that, you know, you, you know when somebody's in a room with you or something like that, that, that was that, that same feeling. And um, I guess in life I didn't have that same connection, but I felt connected to her through my sense of smell. So uh, for me, smell has always been one of the biggest things I've always picked up on. As soon as I go into a room, that's the first thing that I notice. Um, and it's attached to everything that I remember. And for her, it was this very distinct smell of um, Play-Doh, like, you know, homemade Play-Doh, salty sort of smell to it. And um, she loved playing with the stuff. She'd come home from preschool reeking of it, her, her clothes, her bag, her, everything that she had. Um, she always had this, this really salty sort of smell. And um, <clears throat> I actually do remember it when she first passed away as a child, when we first went back to sort of going back to normal, going to back to preschool and back to school. Um, my brother and my sister were very close and they went to the same preschool. And when we used to come home, we'd walk into the house and then it was still like she was still there, like she'd still come because we'd still smell that smell of, of the Play-Doh. And um, later on in life, as I got older, I think as we do, we sort of start to push away a lot of those sort of things that we're experiencing. And I think as I got older, I um, become less in touch with what I was experiencing or with that connection with her. Um, I didn't pick up on things as easily, but those, that smell came back to me several times. Like I'm 23 now, turning 24 soon. And I've since had several uh, times in my life where that smell has come back usually before quite an important um, or like when something, a, a difficult situation is about to come up, usually in the family, um, like a, like times when I've had to sort of step up or when I, you know, being a teenager, you sort of get stuck in your own world and, and, and that's all that matters. Um, there's been a couple of times where um, I didn't, I needed to step up for my family and help them and, she sort of came along and, and that smell, I smelt it again and straight away just having her picture in my mind, knowing that that was her trying to tell me something. And then sure enough, not even that long later, something quite big happens. And then I realise, all right, that's that's her um, coming back to let me know something. And ever since I have had similar sort of things, but it's never been as strong as that connection
Felicity from New Zealand. Some things always baffled me. When I was a child, ten years old or so, I complained to my mother that Dad would often come home late from his committee meetings and stomp through the house, and it would wake me up. I'm profoundly deaf and don't hear a thing when my hearing aids are out for sleeping, so how could I hear stomping loud enough to wake me? Mum would sometimes be upstairs vacuuming and could hear stomping downstairs to the point she would dismantle the vacuum cleaner pipe and get ready to whack someone over the head with it as she knew she was alone in the house. What baffles me is how she could hear the same stomping downstairs when she was vacuuming. We do know that our house had a lot of activity. Locked doors would slam shut. On another occasion, a young girl was seen running up the stairs. There were several ghosts at various times. But how does a deaf person hear a ghost? John from the States I'm an EMT with the fire department here and today we got called out on a crash. Two people in one car and one in another car. That person was dead. I did the vitals and it showed he was dead. No heartbeat or pulse. The rate was 0.0 flatline red. We put him on the gurney and put him in the ambulance and went to take care of the other two people. We were taking care of them when this cop started yelling at someone to come back here. I looked. And it was the dead man walking away from the ambulance. The cops got him and put him back in the ambulance and stayed with him. We got him to the ER and they said he was dead as well. Now, I don't believe in ghosts, but you tell me, what the hell did we all see? This is Mary from Texas. The one that's really, really, really... Um, got to me and it still gets to me to this day and I don't wish it on anybody to ever have this happen Um, I was pregnant I was living with my parents I was pregnant with my second child and I was laying down in my son's room patting him on the back he was uh, almost two and I was trying to get him to go to sleep and my parents were ordained ministers Um, so I'm sorry that's my dog (laughs) Um, I felt like something was staring at me. So I looked up and I see this demon like full form. I mean, he was hunched over, um, hunched over. He was probably like six foot five. Um, there was like no muscle, no fat. It was just bone. Looked like he would have been burnt. He was like brown, tan, black, orange, and reds. He had, um, a round head, a long chin. Um, at the end of the chin, it was kind of rounded. He had very sharp, pointy teeth. Um, his ears were pointy. And he stopped and looked at me. And the evil that just came off of this this creature was, oh my God, it was horrible. Like, 
to this day, I still get chills and I picture it like it just happened. Um, I mean, I, I broke down to tears cause I've never in my life seen anything like that. I've never in my life felt such pure evil come off of this thing. And he walked into my bedroom, um, and through the walls. So I didn't go in my room for two weeks, um, by myself. And I only went during the daytime. I never told my parents because growing up as a child, they told me that I was going to go. I was taught that mediums and psychics go to hell because that's evil and demonic. And I've always seen things my entire life. I never asked for it. I would pray so hard I would cry to not see it because I was terrified of going to hell. But yeah, <laughs> that was also, you know. Growing up as a child, a scary part of seeing things was being told that you're going to go to hell when you die. And like I said, it was never something I went looking for. I didn't ask for it or nothing. Um, <clears throat> but the, the demon didn't come near me. He didn't touch me. He looked at me and grinned, and he just walked on. And that, out of everything I've seen, everything that's moved, flung by me, um, that's the scariest thing I've ever seen. Once a year, on a dark night, we return. We will not sleep. We will not die. This is Halloween. Rusty from the United States. When I was in my mid-twenties and newly married, my spouse and I moved for his job. We needed to find a place to live pretty quick. We lucked into the perfect house. It was old. In its previous life, it had been someone's beach cottage, which I loved. What's better than living in a resort town close enough to walk to the beach? Plus, it wasn't in a resort area. It was in the back half of someone's property, with one road in and out and lots of trees and shade. Very quiet. No other people around. Because the house was originally a weekend cottage, it was one big room with a small addition to one side that contained a kitchen and a bath and another addition off the back that had a bedroom. The big room was awesome. All windows on three sides with a nice breeze most of the time. A fireplace, lots of open area. The only thing that kind of pinged my radar was the landlord. When we rented, he was overly insistent that we sign a year lease and we couldn't break it for any reason, no matter what. We needed to pay out the lease, whether we lived in the house or not. I thought that was a little weird, the way he kept repeating that over and over because he wanted to make absolutely sure that we understood, but it didn't really register at the time, other than I was a bit worried that maybe there were troublemakers or noisy parties on the beach or something. He assured us that it was a very quiet neighbourhood, but he repeated again that we couldn't break the lease. I worked a 9-to-5 job. My spouse worked 12-hour on-off shifts, so there were lots of times when I would be home by myself. The first month or two were fine. I liked the house. I liked the neighbourhood. I liked the beach. 
I'm mostly a homebody, so when the spouse was at work, I would stay at home knitting or watching a little TV or cooking. I'd always wanted to learn to knit, so I brought some yarn and started teaching myself. Then, sometime around the third month, I started to get very strong feelings that someone would be standing behind me while I was reading, you know, like looking over my shoulder. It only happened when I was alone in the house and only when I was in the main room. Without thinking about it too much, I started sitting places where my back was to the wall or reading in the bedroom. When I went to bed at night, I started closing the door between the bedroom and the rest of the house. I felt safe in the bedroom. Sometimes when I fell asleep in front of the TV late at night, I'd wake up to catch someone standing in front of the fireplace just out of the corner of my eye. I thought I needed to stop dreaming so much, but I started to stay in the bedroom after dark with the door shut. Things started not being where I put them in the big room. I got kind of irritated with my spouse for messing with my stuff. I wasted five to ten minutes almost every day looking for my handbag or my car keys. Then one day I came home after work. I found my knitting yarn wrapped and tangled around all the furniture in the big room. I don't mean just a little bit. I mean the yarn was strung between the couches and wrapped around the legs of the chairs. I told myself that my spouse was playing a trick on me and I cleaned it up. Then I decided that I wouldn't mention it to him just to see how long it took him to come clean. He never did. I moved my knitting to the bedroom. My sister came to visit for a long weekend. I'd gushed so much about our lovely beach house that she came to visit and see the beach. She came for a four-day weekend. She slept on the pull-out sofa in the big room. After the first night, she told us the sofa wasn't very comfortable and she thought she was coming down with something, so she changed her travel arrangements and she was leaving that afternoon. She seemed agitated, but she wouldn't talk about it. A few days after she went home, she called me. She started the conversation with, I know you don't believe in ghosts, and maybe I'm just being stupid. My heart dropped. I thought I was the only one, and I was being so stoic and pretending I never saw or heard anything. She went on to tell me that after she went to sleep that night in the big room, noises woke her up in the middle of the night. She thought it was one of us, but no one was there. Then, while she was sitting in the bed looking around, the window started opening and closing. It just kind of went round the room. One window opened and closed, then the next one, then the one next to that, then the next one, and the next one. Then she heard footsteps walking straight towards her, but no one was there. The footsteps walked right up to the bed where she was sitting, then over the bed, continued across the room and out through the side door into the kitchen area. She said she ran out the front door and spent the rest of the night on the front porch. She came back inside when the sun came up, waited for us to wake up and made excuses to go home. She didn't want to spend another night in that house. She said, I know you won't believe me, that's okay, but I'm not ever sleeping in your house again. I told myself that my sister had always been a little nutty about stuff like that, so knowing the house was old, she probably just had a very vivid dream. I kept telling myself that. A few weeks after that, 
Just when I'd stopped jumping at every stray noise, I woke up one Sunday morning and went to cook a leisurely breakfast for me and spouse. And y'all, I still don't know how to explain this. I opened the kitchen cabinets to get dishes out to start cooking. All the dishes were rearranged, not messy, not tumbled about. They were all very neat and orderly, but everything was on the wrong shelf. The shelf that normally held glasses now had plates stacked on them. The shelves that normally held bowls now had glasses on them. My first thought was that someone had been in the house during the night. I checked all the locks, still locked. We didn't know many people and I couldn't think of anyone who would pull a trick like that. Besides, there was so much stuff moved that no one could do it quietly without disturbing people sleeping in practically the next room. So I did what any half-crazed, scared-to-shit person would do. I pretended it never happened. I pretended that I always kept the glasses on that shelf and there was nothing strange about having all the plates on this shelf. I sure as hell wasn't moving anything back because I didn't want to see what would happen if I did. I cooked breakfast. I went on with my day and later that afternoon I told my spouse that I wasn't really comfortable in this house anymore. Could we find somewhere else to live? Amazingly enough, my spouse never asked me why. He simply said, that was probably a good idea and let's find something quick. And we moved out. We called the landlord after we'd already packed and moved the furniture. He came over and picked up the keys. He never, not once, asked why we were moving. In fact, he never met our eyes, just kept looking at the ground. We agreed to keep paying rent until he could get some new tenants. Months later, I asked my spouse if he ever felt anything strange in that house. He said, yeah, that wasn't a good house. Glad we moved. And... We never talked about it again. <laughs> this is Rebecca from Seattle. I was 100% sceptical and didn't believe in anything paranormal. And then my kid, six years old at the time, was the one who turned my beliefs on their head. We were living in a two-bedroom apartment and my kid just couldn't ever sleep well at night. I didn't think much of it at the time, downplaying it as normal insomnia, which I'd struggled with too as a kid. The thing that struck me as weird about it is that she never deviated from her original reason of why she couldn't get to sleep. She'd come out of her room to tell me there was an old man in her room telling her to leave because he lived there. I had the typical eye-roll reaction, giving my kid a reaction like, well, you don't have to be asleep, but you need to stay in bed when it's bedtime. Because I didn't believe her, as if it was all make-believe, that was a mistake. After several months of living there and doing this routine regularly with my kid, I get a photo debit card in the mail from a bank that I don't do business with, addressed to a different name. My first reaction was to think, this is identity theft, or the previous tenant didn't notify their bank that they moved. So I called the bank, read the numbers off the card, and then while I was wrapping up the call, I had to put it down on the table to find scissors, as the banker told me to cut up the card. When my kid hears the conversation and comes over to see the card on the table, 
I'm off the phone with the bank and my kid says to me right away, that's the old man in my room, that's him. I'm thinking to myself, that this has got to be some sort of make-believe scenario again. Yeah, the picture shows an elderly white man with white hair and a white beard, but that's got to be a coincidence, right? Right? So, fine, I'm going to prove that. I look up the name in quotes along with the name of my town. First search result is this man's obituary. Still not wanting to believe what my six-year-old was telling me, I got in touch with his surviving family members via Facebook who were mentioned in the obituary. I found out that this gentleman died in the apartment succumbing to cancer. He was waiting to move in with his son in convalescence, but passed away before the move happened. Also, I think it's worth noting that my landlord had no legal obligation to tell me someone died in the apartment before I moved in because it was a natural death. It would have been different if it were a homicide. I should note that I never saw or heard him, the ghost that is. I only ever knew about this because of my kid. I asked her about all the things that he had said to her. I pay rent on time every month and this is my place, not yours were the most frequent complaints. I finally believe in ghosts because of my six-year-old kid and getting evidence in my face, a photo of bank card of the man that my kid said wouldn't leave her room, then googling it to find his obituary, to silence my scepticism. That's where we'll end today's episode of our two-episode Halloween special. Be sure and join us tomorrow for more true and ghostly experiences encountered by people just like yourselves. I'll end this episode with these words from a mystery man. Happy Halloween. Do try not to die. score today is called Are You Scared Yet? by Sasha End, licensed under Creative Commons. For more information, check out this episode's page on the podcast website at www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions or comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself and my audience, then just email me at shadowlands@yahoo.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating and don't be shy to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts or on your chosen podcasting platform. Who knows, you may hear your review read out at the end of one of these podcasts. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and available from iHeartRadio as well. 
If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also, the more the merrier. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Tonight, today, wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours, we'll see you this time next week. Thanks for listening. 